You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Hello, music fans, and welcome to Modern Musicology. My name is Alan, and I've got my groovy set of co-hosts here. Rob, how's it going? Hey, how are you? Awesome. Anthony. Howdy. And Stephanie. Hello. Stephanie, you noticed that I didn't, like, give you the big introduction <laughs> because you're part of the family now. You're I'm just one of the co-hosts. I like it. But I should say that... Stephanie Seymour, of course, is a very successful solo artist and former drummer of the Aquanetas, and we're always thrilled to have you with us. I'm so glad to be here. Always. Thank you. Can, can I add to that list of accolades, Alan? Yeah. yeah. I'm just an all-round nice person. Oh, jeez. Yeah, 100%. Thanks, 100%. dudes. All right. Um, before we get into our usual agenda, Alan has been kind enough to give me a minute on the show to pay tribute to one of the absolute giants of the local metal scene here in Atlanta. On the early hours of Tuesday morning, my good friend Rodu Sanchez sadly passed away. He was in his mid-40s. He'd been suffering from various heart complaints for a long time. I, I don't think any of us necessarily expected him to live to be an old age, but none of us were quite expecting him to leave us just yet. He was one of the nicest and funniest people you ever could meet, and to many, he was a living contradiction. He was a heavy metal singer who was really into wrestling, loved his horror movies, but he would also cry at videos of cute animals. <laughs> he had a really powerful singing voice, and he sang for a band called Dead Rights. They released a number of records, most of which can be found on Spotify, and he and I used to do another music podcast together way before modern musicology called Musically Inclined, which mostly consisted of him telling me that he hated everything that I ever recommended to him. Um, and also we talked about Iron Maiden a lot and we laughed a lot and he will be missed by so, so many people, including myself, but no more so than by his fiance Elaine. And all I have to say is rest in peace, you absolute fucking legend. I will always remember the amazing times we had together. Mm. Thanks for sharing that. And, you know, I had never met Radu um, and didn't know Dead Rights. And so as we were talking this week, you shared some music with me. And God, what a good band. Holy shit. Yeah. I'm like, I, I don't know how I've never heard of them before. Me too, and what a great you know, voice. Yeah. So they were, I mean, they weren't huge, but... You no, know, but they, I mean, I'm part of the Atlanta music scene. How did I not, you know, I mean, I know a lot of the people that... I mean, I have friends who know him Yeah. Other besides you, and I'm just surprised that I never heard of them before, and God, they were phenomenal. Yeah, and Paul, the guitarist, and I were, were texting a little in the week, and he put out a Facebook post, and... He mentioned that he has some unreleased material that he's going to work on finishing. Um, oh, cool. And to kind of put out in, in tribute and hopefully to make a little bit of money, I think he's going to donate it to a heart charity. Mm. So um, that's fantastic. Know. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for sharing about your friend. 
Thank you for giving me a minute for that. Absolutely. All right, folks. What have we been listening to this week? Stephanie, you got anything that's been spinning? I do, but it's as usual. It's old. That's okay. You don't have to explain it away. <laughs> Just tell us. It's okay. My, uh, I've been like nonstop Duran Duran because one uh, of, one of my picks for our for our songs is um, Duran Duran. Uh, and you know, I was thinking really, I used to mean, I was mostly into Duran Duran when it was like, you know, really early kind of the first three albums or whatever it was. But then I got so obsessed with the song Ordinary World. I just Mm. feel like that, (laughs) what a comeback, first of all, what an absolute comeback. And just everything about that song is perfect. And, and Simon LeBond's voice was, I mean, he's not like a singer's singer you know what i mean but he's got a really unique style but i really think on that song his his voice is absolutely really uh, amazing and mm-hmm. i just just so that was that's what i've been i've been deep into duran duran but especially that song awesome rob hey um so yeah i've listened to a couple things uh one of which is a cassette um, which is very strange for people to send me cassettes in the mail now, but it happens. It's even so, stranger to have something to play it on. <laughs> uh, well, you know, some of us kept all that because we have mixtapes. <laughs> right. um, so anyway, there is um, uh, a label in San Francisco, and uh, they have released uh, Welcome to Oakland on cassette. And it has uh, basically it's a sampler of all these great bands from Oakland. Oakland has had a really good sort of indie scene going on for the last half decade or so, everything from like psychedelic rock and, and I, this I'd never heard of, neo-prog and um, new wave and, 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 and punk and stuff. But this is a collection of stuff. It's got like the 1981 on it, Sob Stories, uh, Smile Too Much, a bunch of bands no one's probably heard of, but man, it covers a lot of stuff. And um, it's out on uh, Dandelion Records and it's, it's, uh, it's a neat little little thing steph i think i sent that to you yes you, you sent me the link i gotta check it out though i didn't do it yet but yeah. i think you're the only person i know that likes cassettes still besides, besides yeah. me <laughs> um the other thing uh i have been listening to is i i've kind of t- took a rabbit hole uh this week and i've been listening to lots of lloyd cole uh and the commotions uh most specifically uh rattlesnakes and mm-hmm. lloyd's going to do a very short american tour in october november but I was thinking about um, just his records with the commotions and how good they were. And Rattlesnakes is just still pretty great. So I've been playing that. And then finally, um, as we often talk about on the show, everything old is new again. And for the first time in like, I think 28, 29 years, the Archers of Loaf have a new album. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And it's called Reason in Decline. It's on Merge. It's really, really good. When bands are gone this long and they make a record, I generally am dubious. But yeah, this was this was uh, pretty terrific. So awesome, yeah, Anthony. So I've been on the the pity wagon, and I've been listening to all of Roger's favorite bands that we both liked. Um, the ones that he liked and I didn't have been off the menu, but that means there's been a lot of Iron Maiden. There's been a lot of Ghost. He was the person who introduced me to Ghost, and I think you all know how much I love that band. Uh, Sonata Arctica have been on there. A um, little bit of Slipknot. Um, really just basically paying tribute to him and, and honoring him by listening to some of his favorite stuff, as well as some of the stuff that he told me that he hated, but was just trying to wind me up. And I know he really liked, um, 
bizarrely about a month before he passed i sent him dick around by sparks ah. thinking that it would wind him up and he listened to it and unusually rather than a thanks i hate it i got a holy shit that's the best thing i've heard in a long time <laughs> so that's been because uh, it's it's so far out of what he normally listened to so that's been in there as well but overall it's just been trying to honor him by by playing a lot of his favorite stuff that's really cool a couple of weeks ago when we did our Glastonbury show, I mentioned a new guy that I had just discovered called Sam Fender, who has, uh, I, I just happened to catch a video of his from his Glastonbury performance. And then uh, we got a message from our uh, one of our listeners, Jessica, in Florida, talking about how great she, that he is and, and she loves his both of his albums and stuff. So I've been listening a little bit more and I happened to catch one of his songs on Sirius XM. So I did an artist alert. So now I hear him all the time and really, really loving him. So I'm like uh, enjoying hearing some of him. A couple of other new things that just came out this week. One, uh, the new Beyonce single is actually, I mean, she says the motherfucker word a little too much and it's, it just doesn't sound good coming from a Beyonce song to me, but the song is so catchy it's and I'm not a big Beyonce fan, but I think it's such a great song and I hope it does really well for her. And the other thing that I just happened to catch is a a new cover that the Linda Lindas have just put out. It's a cover of the Go-Go's yes, tonight. It's a great cover. Isn't it? It is so good. And I usually don't like covers like of my favorite songs, but that is so good. <laughs> yeah, they did such a fantastic job with it. So that's my hits. Yes. And Alan, just going back to Beyonce, I, I haven't really heard anything by her since Lemonade, but I thought Lemonade was a phenomenal, phenomenal album. I It's not yeah. something people would expect me to listen to, but it was so wonderfully eclectic and varied. And I think she dropped her whole album this week. So I'm looking forward mm -hmm. to checking that out over the next week just to really get a feel for it. And, and I'll hopefully have some opinions by the time we regroup Excellent. in a week's time. Excellent. And Rob, there was a, one news article that you wanted to talk about. Yeah, I thought I'd just sort of throw it out to us. If you like Shakespeare and you like Pat Benatar. What? I know. <laughs> then you're going to love Invincible. Um, so this is five years in the making with Pat Benatar and uh, Neil Giraldo, uh, her husband. Uh, they are making a musical, you know, with based, loosely based on Romeo and Juliet, which is, you know, pretty awesome. It's called Invincible. Um, tickets are on sale now. It is running in Beverly Hills from November 2nd to December the 17th. Uh, but I have a sneaking feeling that that's going to get extended or it's going to go somewhere else or this, I think it's going to blow up. I um, so. you know, at a time when people are doing like jukebox musicals to the point of exhaustion, I'm kind yeah. of excited about this one. Yeah. Um, because the artist involved with it is actually the person behind it, which I think is much better than just having it be some sort of cheesy thing. And I'm also happy for her because, you know, she's got the rock and roll induction right before this. And then she's got, a, you know, her own play premiering. And um, it's pretty cool. So 2004, I think it was, uh, they put out a new album called Go and it was an independent release. It was one that they funded themselves. They released themselves. They got a distribution deal. So it's 100% owned by them. Um, around that same time, it was actually a little bit before that, they did some 
renegotiation with their former record label, Chrysalis. And they basically got the masters of all of their previous recordings from Chrysalis. So basically they own a hundred percent of their recordings. Mm -hmm. So having these kind of projects coming from them means that the revenue from this yeah. thing, as far as like the, the songwriting royalties goes directly into their pockets. As it so good for them. Hell yeah. Good for yeah. them. And I got to say, I am, it's it's so cheesy, but I am a sucker for jukebox musicals. Yeah. So I'm excited to see the Pat Benatar one. Because, you know, I'm a Pat Benatar fan anyway. All right. So we're going to take a quick break. We got a really quick ad we're going to run. And we will be back in 30 seconds with our main topic, which is all about the B-side. So we'll see you in a few. Hey, Mike, I think I might have the new promo for Earth Station 1 for the spring. Want to hear it? Sure. Celebrating over 12 years of bringing you all things geek, we're the Earth Station 1 podcast. No matter the topic, we have been showing you all sides of geekdom with interviews, reviews, discussions, con reports, and as always, the geek seat. Join Mike and Mike weekly at earthstation1.com or wherever fine podcasts are found. That's Earth Station 1. What, what do you think? Is it okay? That's eh, fine. We'll, we'll do better next time. Hey, uh, you know, people say it's all about the bass, but it's not. Um, it's actually all about the B-sides tonight. Uh, we did singles uh, last time we all met, and this week we're doing B-sides. And the great thing about B-sides is that they're so fascinating. Um, because sometimes you'll have an instrumental track. Sometimes you'll have just a flat-out session song that they just didn't fit on the album that they put on. Um, sometimes it'll be like Steph and I discussed this week. It'll be a live track. Sometimes it is another song on the album, or sometimes it's a song that they put as a B-side, but it was so popular that later it was a single. Um, there's all sorts of things going on in the history of B-sides, and there's no way we can talk about it in, in one show. But I, I thought we'd take a deep dive into, into B-sides and sort of talk about our favorite B-sides, what we liked about them, and just the culture around the B-side. Alan, I'll let you start first. Um, because you never get to start first, so we'll let you start first. Um, you had, I, I, I mean, I think some of the things you're thinking about B-sides might be on my list too, but what do you think is the quintessential quality of a good B-side? I was putting together my list for this topic, and mainly I was going for B-sides that are unique releases. They weren't from the album that the single was coming from or anything like that. It's the only place that you could get this song. And so what I look for is a song that is at least of the same quality as the album that the single comes from it. You know, I don't want to like a throwaway. Well, we did this other thing and it sucked. So we didn't put it on the album, but you know, we want to make a little money off of it. So let's slap it on the B side. I want, and I have a lot of examples of songs that were B sides that were better than the album that it should have been on. Like there were other things that probably should mm -hmm. have been left off of a, a you know, a, a particular album. And this song that was a B side of a single should have made the cut because it's so good. And I've got a couple examples of where they did that, but then the, uh, the B side actually ended up on a repress of the album. Yeah. 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 That does. So that, that's an interesting thing. And then I sort of took um, the same approach you did, but I, I only mentioned specifically if it was a B-side of another release song, if it had some sort of musical significance, um, yeah. 
then I then I put on the list. But there's so many things to cover with B sides. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, Anthony, I know you're a fan of like deep cuts and and deep tracks and things. Um, what for you makes a good B side? So for me, when they just put another track on the album on as a B side. That yeah. pisses me off. <laughs> I'm just going to come out and say it because what's the incentive to buy the single? I, I think for those of us who who really love music, if a band catches our ear, we're going to buy the album, mm-hmm. right? right? So where's the incentive gone to buy the single? I get it, though. I, I do understand there are people out there who maybe they don't love music as much as the four of us do. They like the occasional mm-hmm. song. So you throw on another album track so that they get two of them. They're not going to buy the album anyway cool but for me it annoys me i i understand there are people out there who are served by that though i want something strong i think the best b-sides are generally where a band has had a very strong album and they can't fit everything on yeah so there's a deep cut they (laughs) they want to find somewhere to put it the other thing and and you guys know i'm a big prog fan um as well as a metalhead is if something doesn't quite fit the concept, if a band is doing a concept yeah. album, they've got this great song, but they can't make it work. And I've, I've got at least one or two examples of that as well. Um, that often makes sense as a B-side. Live versions can be fun. I uh, mm-hmm. don't necessarily mm-hmm. cry out for them. I'd rather have an entire live album, but if that's the only way I'm going to get the only live recording ever of a certain track, I'll take it. Right, right. And and then remixes, for yeah. the most part, I've only ever once bought a single for a remix, um, and it's because I'd heard a live version of the remix, and I wanted the studio version, <laughs> so I bought that single. But otherwise, that's not something I really look for in mm. um, a B side. Okay, two S one. What is your uh, favorite uh, B side <laughs> story for us? Who's two S one? Right? That is your new name. We got you we got have A-dubs. two S's. <laughs> oh my God. So we have uh, we have, I emailed you about this. We have A dubs. I didn't see that. Okay, you're two S. You are two S one. Crying. All right, I need to start a rap band apparently immediately. Um, <laughs> um, all right. Well, I'll I'll t- I'll I'll lead with my favorite, which is um, "Murder by Numbers" by the. Oh yes. And that is there. I have actually two favorite favorite police ones. It's Murder by Numbers, which is on the um, the on Every Breath You Take. I just think that's a standout song. That's really, uh, you know, when you talked about it, doesn't sort of fit the album, but but it's a great venue for a, a B. You know, the B side is a great place for that. Just at the, the same time period, mm-hmm. that's a good example of that. I, I think it's a little dark, a little creepy and just a weird song and i think that you know that is that that fits your category but um my other favorite song i don't know this is not a song that many people probably know but it's called a sermon and it was the b-side of da do 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 da 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 and it's what it's sort of like i don't it's almost like it's a premonition kind of i feel like for for sting it's really it's about a uh, a band who is creeping up the charts and they're becoming, you know, more like belligerent and like you, you know, don't, what, don't wish, what is the saying? If you, when you wish for something and you get it, what's the thing? <laughs> <laughs> like, so be careful, what you, be careful what you wish for. You wish for. 
Wow. <laughs> what you wish for is what you wish. <laughs> I'm crying. Yes, be careful what you wish for because, you know, then, you know, maybe you start becoming a bastard and, you know, you know, you, you're getting so much fame and you're, you know, the, the, the bad part of it comes out anyway. So that is another, those two are kind of like my tide for number one, both police. Nice. Nice. And you'll have to edit the shit out of that. I'm sorry. That's all right. <laughs> Not going to do it. It's all staying in. That's, that is gold right there. Adams, what you got for us? A couple of B-sides that you love. All right. So I'm going to continue on a theme for from last week. A couple of, of songs from a band that I don't necessarily love. I enjoy them, but they're kind of a dumb rock band from <laughs> and, and probably the, the least of the large bands from their genre. But um, Oasis had a couple of phenomenal... <laughs> Phenomenal B-sides at the time of What's the Story, Morning Glory. In fact, I would go as far as to say songs that should have been on the album and should have been singles themselves. Can we just point uh, out that you don't really like Oasis? Right. I know. <laughs> Which is why we're laughing. I also want to point out that you say Oasis, the three of us crack up. You don't miss a beat. You just ignore no, the chaos going, going on around you and plow through with your story. Yep. Kudos, so, my man. So um, Acquiesce, which was a B-side on Some Might Say, absolute stonker of a rock song. I mean, it's it's just got such great speed. It's got a phenomenal... I, I feel like last week I talked a lot about the anthemic chorus. Mm -hmm. It has an anthemic chorus, and it's everything you would want in, in a, a rock song, basically. It's, it's dumb, it's obnoxious, and I kind of love it. <laughs> The other one from the same time was The Master Plan, which was a B-side on Wonderwall. And, um, you know, Wonderwall is obviously one of the most famous Oasis songs. You go into any crappy dive bar in anywhere in America with one guy and a guitar, and at some point he's going to play Wonderwall tonight. <laughs> Guaranteed. But The Master Plan was kind of like the, the illegitimate child that came with Wonderwall. And it's sung by Noel rather than Liam, which immediately makes it seem far less aggressive and obnoxious as a song and it's got a lot of strings it's again got a very anthemic chorus and it's one i also really enjoy and this will hopefully be the last time we ever talk about oasis on this podcast <laughs> yeah, sure no it won't be no because <laughs> next week we're doing a whole show on oasis no <laughs> um, <laughs> so um i'm gonna jump in this is oasis adjacent kind of um I love the song, the single by uh, Suede called The Beautiful Ones. Mm. Uh, came out in 96. They have a B-side called Money that is really, really good. I think it should have been on the album. What do I know? Now, um, when XTC Skylarking came out, I was really excited because I was really into XTC. I got the record. I love it. You know, I, I go to an, uh, a Catholic high school. Uh, I'm driving uh, all the religion teachers crazy with it because it sounds like you know, the stuff they listen to in the 60s and they're really happy. Then one night I turn on 120 minutes and there's a video called Dear God. Mm. And I'm like, <laughs> what yes. the hell is this? It's not on the album. What is this? What are they doing to me, right? So then I start this maniacal search through record stores to find it. And I'm like, and this is the days before Spotify's and stuff. And I had 
I got part of a cassette, I got part of it on uh, taped on a cassette off of a college radio station, but I missed like the first eight seconds, eight to 10 seconds. And the, I kept playing it on MTV and I could never line that up to tape it back when we used to record videos. Um, and then finally they really, really skylarking with dear God put in it. Right. And I just remember that that was like one of the first times that I'm like, you know what? I'm going to start listening to the other sides of the records a lot more. Right. And I started actively sort of, that sort of catapulted me into actively buying singles. Um, so, Hank, I didn't realize Dear God was a B-side. I always thought it was a non-album single. I'm yeah. very, very impressed that a song of that quality, again, all I think that the, says, goes all back to what I was saying. All of the Skylarking Sessions um, tracks that have been, that have surfaced have all been incredible, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, I was talking to Dave Gregory once. And I'm like, you guys really didn't put Dave Gregory on the album? And he's like, you have to understand... Andrew, Andy Partridge and Todd Rundgren were at each other's throats, literally. And we just wanted to get the record out. And there's a bunch of stuff that got left on the floor because we just wanted him out of the room. Wow. Um, the, the recording of Skylarking with Todd Rundgren is probably, and, and XTC, is probably one of the most unpleasant experiences between band and producer. Andy Partridge and Todd Rundgren just did not get along. And um, you have this beautiful record. But if you listen to like the story behind it, you're like, oh, my gosh, this is incredible. Um, the other one I want to mention is, um, you know, when I was when I was in high school, when New Order released Substance, that was like the coolest thing in the world. Much like the Kate Bush, the whole story uh, cassette at the time or CD. It was like a really cool one volume compendium of everything by New Order. Right. But they made a they made a single called True Faith. And the B side for it was called 1963. And that track was really, really, really great. Um, I really liked it immediately. And uh, I always thought, you know, hey, they should have put this on an album or something. But then years later, when they released another of their 500,000 Best of New Order compilations, they put a remixed version, a, a new re-recording of 1963 on it. So those are kind of some of the ones that, uh, that got me going on hey, uh, on b-sides yes hey rob i want to touch a bit more and sorry alan i'll i'll yield to you in a second but you work. started out with suede and i always felt like suede were one of those bands that always had absolutely killer b-sides oh yeah they do they have amazing uh, b-sides i mean they released a, a full b-sides album after they had just released three albums mm -hmm. of their own like three yeah. studio albums and it was a double cd album <laughs> i mean that is a lot of b-sides and you know yeah. for those of us who adored the bernard butler era of suede that was a way to get more of it and yeah I, th there were two actually on my list that had Bernard on them that I wanted to give a shout out to. And that was my insatiable one. Yes. That was the other one I was thinking of too. Yeah. B-side to the drowners and killing of a flash boy to also the, the B-side to we, uh, we are the pigs. And the impressive thing about suede is they're one of those bands who do play their B-sides live. I feel like mm. a lot of bands are kind of a little bit mm -hmm. embarrassed of their B-sides tend not to give them much love on the live stage. Yeah. Suede always have. So anyway. That's a good yeah, point also, about playing them live. Because I was yeah. thinking about when you're saying like a good B-side, what makes a good B-side? Something that, the you know, I, I love to go to a show and have a band play something that might not be so well mm -hmm. known, but like your favorite B-side. That's such, that's yeah. so great. Yeah. yeah. And Suede also did this thing too, where they released a bunch of live tracks for a couple singles that were also amazing, right? Um one of them had Neil Tennant from the Pet Shop Boys on it. And, you know, they just, they're one of those bands that always sort of did the B-side right, I thought. 
you know, in, in the Britpop era, I think Blur and probably Suede were like the two bands that sort of really mastered the B-side. Um, one of the great Dude, sort of... Really? Uh, really? After I've just said that two Oasis tracks, the only time I'm ever really going to praise Oasis was stronger than anything on their album. You leave them out. So, um, well, this is, I mean, I didn't listen to a lot of Oasis in real time. I came to them sort of after, but after the hype died down. Uh, um, so Blur played a, a show in St. Louis at a really small venue. And um, Damon Albarn hated it so much that... Um, the b-side for house in the country is a, is a track called st louis um and he hated it right so it's kind of this urban legend and like that whole album actually has great b-sides on it too but um i also think b-sides are a chance for artists to sort of exhale creatively a little bit too which i also love yeah so alan we've been putting off your list i'm sorry please. oh it's fine no big deal enlighten us all right well when you're talking about b-sides when you're talking about b-sides that are as good or better than things that ended up on albums when you're talking about an artist who has a slew of b-sides the first name on my list is always and forever prince now i could do an entire hour on prince's b-sides yeah so y'all just step aside no, I'm, <laughs> I'm curious to see which ones you picked because well mine's it, pretty obvious but i know you're gonna have some good ones well, um, in 90, I think it was 93, 94, 93, um, he released a three-disc Greatest Hits albums. The, the third disc was nothing but B-sides. It's got 20 tracks on it. And at 20 tracks, there's still a lot of stuff that didn't make it onto the release. So um, w rather than going through all of his B-sides, I'm just going to hit like a few of my favorites. Okay. The big one. This is probably the one that you're thinking of, Rob. The big one, and probably the first thing that people really started to latch onto as like, you know, a legendary B-side is Erotic City, which was the B-side of Let's Go Crazy. So, of course, Let's Go Crazy was a massive single, so it sold truckloads of copies. So every person that bought mm -hmm. it heard Erotic City. And it's one that uh, they have performed live many times. Prince's band did, Sheila E's band did. Um, there is a, there, a great one later on called, um, well, it's from the single, If I Was Your Girlfriend. The flip side was a song called Shockadelica. And that song was basically a message to uh, Jesse Johnson, the guitar player in the time, because he put out his third solo album, called Shockadelica, but did not have a title song. And so Prince basically was saying, Jesse, if you've got a title as good as Shockadelica, you better fucking write a song for that title. So he wrote one and released it as a B-side. Um, the back of Raspberry Beret has She's Always In My Hair, which is just a great song. Glam Slam from the... Um, what was that album called? The one with there he's naked on the front on the on a flower. Oh. Lo uh, love, love sexy. sexy. Love yeah. sexy. Okay. Um, so Glam Slam on the back has a song called Escape, which is built on a lot of the same ideas and sort of the same chorus, but a far, far better song. Um, Let's Pretend We're Married from 1999 had Irresistible Bitch on the flip, which 
got played on every show on the Purple Rain tour, but in a different arrangement with a much cooler guitar part that Wendy played, like a real like funky guitar part and mm-hmm. great song. Um, but my favorite one, my favorite Prince B-side did not make it onto the Greatest Hits album, the third disc that had the 20 B-side tracks wasn't there. And that is Love or Money, which was written out as Heart, Heart or Dollar or Sign. Yeah. Uh-huh. It was on the flip side of Kiss. One of the greatest singles ever released. Kiss on A-side, Love or Money on the backside. Yeah. And the 12-inch version had like a seven or eight minute version of love or money, which is just unbelievable. So Prince, man, that's like half of my list mm-hmm. in one shot is just Prince songs. And awesome. I remember, I remember too, cause we were going to, to dances in high school and they would play, they would they'd play let's go crazy early. And then the flip side, they would throw an erotic city like late in the night. And it, it was just like, people didn't know it was the B side. They just assumed it was part of the record. Then they kind of got a little surprised when they when they found out it wasn't. Um, but that and Pink Cadillac by Bruce Springsteen were like the two sort of B, B-sides that got played a lot of dances when I was in high school. So what else do you have on your list there, Alan? Oh, well, I have a lot of stuff on my list. Yeah. So we haven't talked about live versions released as B, B-sides yet. Um, I got a couple of those. Uh, okay. One, and the reason that I included this one is because, well um heart on uh the bad animals album the second second or third single was who will you run to the flip side was a live version of magic man way back from their first album but once uh the 70s were over and they fired their lead guitar player and they continued on as a five-piece band instead of six and they reduced a lot of the keyboards from their live sound, uh, they started playing a completely different arrangement of Magic Man that leaves out all that big Moog solo in the middle. And uh, they shorten the arrangement a lot. They put a pretty punchy guitar solo in the middle. So releasing that as the flip side of Who Will You Run To was great for me because I wanted a recording of that new version that they had been playing for a couple of tours. Mm-hmm. And the other cool one was uh from yes from 90125 it can happen was the what third or fourth single from that album and they put a live version on the flip side now the cool thing is that they recorded it at lakeland civic center where i was in attendance (laughs) there were two shows um i ended up going to both i had um i'd got i'd been given a ticket by a friend for the first show he wanted me to go with him so i went and loved it so i ended up buying a ticket for the next night so whichever night it was that they recorded that live version from i was there so one of those ten thousand cheering voices that you hear at the beginning and the end of that song is me no matter which night it came from i was on a record man (laughs) it's cool love that can I play? Can I can I uh, play a game and and ask you if you can figure out what song is gonna what live song is gonna be on this single? Okay, I will disqualify myself because I think you and I talked about it. I don't think so. Uh-oh. Okay, go ahead. So, does anyone know the B side for Elton John's Philadelphia Freedom? Oh, I heard. Oh, mm, I don't. It involves no. a Beatle hint. It involves a beetle. 
It's I saw her standing there live yeah. at the garden with oh with John Lennon. <gasps> oh wow! Yeah, when they did when John like John Lennon hadn't played in a million years and like yeah, and that was so that's the B side. So that's an excellent live song for mm. B side. <laughs> wow! That's yeah, really and kind cool. of really touching too. I feel. Yeah, that was probably what nineteen seventy four. Yep. <sighs> yep. Wow. Bizarrely, I was reading about that concert the other oh. day. Oh, wow. So Steph, did you have any more live ones on your list? Um, do I have any more live ones? I don't think I have li- any more live ones. No. Nope. Um, the first one I ever remember hearing was Save a Prayer, which I think you and I talked about, the yeah. Duran Duran Ooh. version of Save a Prayer um, from Rio. And then I was excited in 1995, um, and I'm going to go back to them again, sorry, um, the Pet Shop Boys released uh, Pananero as a single, but mm-hmm. the B-side was a live version uh, recorded in Rio of their version of Blur's Girls and Boys. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, which is just <laughs> fantastic. And I'm like, this is, what is this? What is this? This is like amazing. And this is when they started doing like really camp hard covers of like songs that were in the charts. That's when they started doing it, right? Because later they did like Mr. Vane and then they were doing like Coldplay and 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 Where the Streets Have No Name that uh, started off with that. Their version of that started off as, as a B-side and turned into a double A-side. So there's a lot of really cool, you know, live stuff that's on B-sides. And yeah. I love it. I, I mean, I don't think they do it as much now, but I love live tracks as B-sides because I mean, many times for me, it was bands I'd never, I, I wasn't ever planning to see because I didn't live in New York or on a coast. I was in the middle of the country. So there was no way I was going to ever hear a lot of these records or see a lot of these artists. I'd only hear their records. And so getting a glimpse of them live was really cool, especially Duran, who were, there was like, oh no my God. There was no way I was ever going to see Duran Duran, right? And so hearing the version of that was really cool. And also, at that time, Duran Duran had this like huge sort of pop aura going on. And they sort of just basically said, well, wait a minute, we're going to do a slow song, right? And that was like a thing. It's like, wait a minute, they're doing like something that's not like a thumpy rock number. They're doing something different. Yeah. And I think live tracks allow bands to do something different um, and kind of show off a different aspect of, of who they are. But I also think it gives fans that really love them and have stayed with them for something. It's it, to me, it feels like a reward to the band, to the, to the fans. As long as it's something that they're doing something different live with the song. And it's yeah. not just like, you know, it sounds exactly like the track you had on the A side, but with crowd noises, if there's a difference in the arrangement or if it's, yeah. You know, or if it's something like the Yes song that I was talking about is is has a lot of complexity vocally to hear them do it live, you know, is really cool. So, yeah. And I yeah. only had one live track, but Alan, it feeds into what you're saying about doing something different. And mm. that is Iron Maiden with Future Real uh, as the B-side on The Wicker Man. Um, Future mm. Real was the lead single off of Virtual Eleven, which was the second and last album in which they had Blaze Bailey as a vocalist. Mm-hmm. By the time they released Brave New World, of which The Wicker Man was the lead single, Bruce Dickinson had returned to the band, and yeah. that version of Future Real, uh, that live version, has Bruce on vocals. So hearing yeah. a very, very different vocalist singing it and right. singing it live, and also they had a third guitarist by that point because right. 
<laughs> it, it adds another dimension to it. So absolutely to your point, Alan. Yeah, Don't agree. Don't it's just going to be sound like the studio version with crowd noises. That's boring. But if you're going to exactly. do something interesting, I'm down for that. <laughs> Can we talk about Duran Duran if, if it's not live versions, though? Yes. On the... <clears throat> yes. Because, Sorry. you know, I feel like they were kings of, you know, releasing singles with B-sides. I mean, I have a stack, you know, of just like maybe like two inches wide of just imports and stuff. I would go every weekend to Crazy Eddie's in White Plains and just buy the latest. And they always were cranking stuff out. But I've, I, it's funny because of, out of all those, I really think my favorite song, uh, B-side song by them is called Late Bar, which is just, it's the B-side of Planet Earth. Mm. So it, it was the very mm-hmm. first, you know, well, maybe it wasn't the first one. I, I, it was the first one I knew, and it was the first single that I knew. That it was a, probably the first single in America was Planet Earth. So, yeah, Late Bar, that, that's one of my absolute favorite Duran Duran songs, just like yeah. a party tune. <laughs> the other thing they did that would drive me nuts is they would release, like, different seven-inch formats. Yeah with different b-sides so you yeah. can have i think i have five I, at one point i had five versions of the seven inch for rio with five different b-sides right, right? so like canada america australia canada. right so oh i thought you were saying can the the the, the, the b-side, b-side called canada for, yeah like, yeah yeah in, in the different countries yeah in canada right different b-sides or yeah the, the label would say no for this this to be the b-side for this it was yeah. It, in hindsight, it's actually brilliant because they got a lot of stuff out there. And at a time when we didn't have Spotify, they collected it all in one place. But it was maddening if you really liked collecting a band. because And the police, I think, we did that for a while, too, because there's two or three singles. Uh, I think King of Pain has yeah. like four different B-sides. I, um, I think one of the Every Breath You Takes, one has Synchronicity 1, one has Synchronicity 3, there, you know, there's all kinds of weird. Sort one of has stuff murder like, by numbers. <laughs> one has murder by numbers. You know, um, and I I love that, but at the time it was horribly infuriating, and I just love the fact that when, when bands sort of stretch what they're doing. The other thing I wanted to, wanted to talk about a little bit is sort of like when the B side sort of takes a life of its own. In many ways, um, yeah. I, yeah. I think yeah. Alan touched on on this a little bit earlier. Like for example, Madonna had. Uh, into the groove as yes. the B-side of Angel, and later went into Desperately Seeking Susan and was a huge record. Um, the Smiths had How Soon Is Now as the B-side, which is, you know, it's How Soon Is Now, right? You have the, you know, you have like Hound Dog by Elvis, right? All these records that are sort of like B-sides that eventually are just as popular as the singles, if not more. And I always think that's an interesting phenomenon, too. Yeah, I, I think on that note, on my list, I had "We Will Rock You" by Queen, which I was originally too, Anthony. It's on yes. my yeah. side on "We Are the Champions," and I think in terms of popularity and main, you know, staying in the public consciousness, I think it's far eclipsed "We Are the Champions." Far. I eclipsed. think I think that's the arguably the best one-two punch on a forty-five you could probably have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that goes to the point of because I actually have a few of those like. Did you know that Gold Dust Woman the B, was the B-side to You Make Love and Fun? So, you know, there's some Fleetwood, there's like a lot of stuff like that where the the songs on the B-side were better or became <laughs> more popular than the ones on the album. And I feel like uh, there's another one, Songbird, that was it. Oh, one yeah. Dream, and Dreams was the same. Yeah, so... 
God only knows, and wouldn't it be yes. nice? Yeah, I know. Knows. Yes. Yeah. And my brother had that. And those are the first two Beach Boy songs I ever heard, right? Yeah. Uh, my brother had that seven inch. And I remember if I touched that thing, I was in trouble, <laughs> right? Um, but I was, uh, that was just phenomenal. That and the, the Rolling Stones, I think you can't always get what you want, was a Yes, it was. Yeah, too. It was. Yeah. <laughs> um, that one, too. It's like there's certain ones that I remember growing up hearing. And I, for, for a while, I think, you know, seven to nine year old me thought that like bands just always put two hit records on one thing. You know, um, right. And I realized they didn't. And I, I love this. There's sort, of, there's sort of this legacy early on of bands just like putting two great tracks on a thing. And then it sort of goes away and people start to experiment and do different things um, as yeah. well. Bowie did it as well. He put Suffragette City as the B-side to Starman. Yep. Right. Um, but I, I think a lot of that comes down to habits in buying music and music becoming more affordable and particularly albums becoming more affordable. Uh -huh. You know, when I was talking at the beginning, you know, certainly as a kid, right, mm -hmm. a, a lot of us, because we only had so much in our allowance, mm -hmm. albums had to be very well thought out as to what we actually bought because we normally had to save for it and it had to be something special. Whereas I could go and drop the same amount on four singles by four different bands. Right. And I think to that point, you know, if a band puts an album track as the B-side on a single, I think particularly at that time where I think records cost a bit more when you adjust for inflation than they do now, it, it kind of makes sense. Mm -hmm. But as music has become more of a collector's thing and everyone's a bit of a completist and Stephanie's buying five versions of Duran Duran singles. And I'm I've buying Japanese imports of Iron Maiden singles. Because right on. I've got to have the track. Um, yep. Right on. Yep. You know, we have a bit more money and, and suddenly we are kind of pissed if they put a album track as the B-side on the single. Because exactly. we're going to buy the album anyway. So right. why yeah. should we buy the single aside but, from the artwork? But also the market used to be, especially in the 60s and maybe early 70s, and certainly in the 50s, the market was far, far more singles driven mm -hmm. than it was album driven. Yeah. Yeah. And so an example that of what Rob is talking about, I want to go all the way back to the very beginning of rock. And that is Bill Haley in the comments. Rock Around the Clock was originally the B-side of a single called 13 Women and Only One Man in Town. Now, I have never heard of that fucking song. <laughs> Me neither. No. But a year later, after that came out in 54. In 55, um, the, the movie Blackboard Jungle used Rock Around the Clock as its theme song, and it got released as a single, as an A-side, and it exploded. And it's, you know, most people consider it to be the first rock and roll single mm -hmm. to make charts. So... You know, that's an example wow. of a B-side that yep. that by far took on a life outside of its A-side. Yeah, the other thing great about that record, too, is it's one of the few records that sort of got past all the censors behind the Iron Curtain. And it was mm. like the first introduction to American rock and roll mm. to the East. Um, and they literally, they played the, the hell out of it. Um, you know, my dad talked about like you know pretty much he's going he's on, he was in um the Aleutians and in occupied japan for a little bit and he would hear a lot of these single stuff coming over but then mm. you know the the meter completely switched when rock around the clock came out 
Yeah. Um, it just literally went off, like to just like completely different. It's like yeah. if you, it's like if you're in a bar and you're dancing to uh, music, and they all of a sudden decide we're a country western bar now, and they just change. It's it's literally like that. It was such a landscape changing record. I'm glad you brought that up, Alan. I've never been in a bar like that before. (laughs) Oh, yeah, it's frightening. (laughs) So can I, so I have to talk about you too. Is that okay? Yeah. And then I want to, you brought up something interesting I want to bring up later, but I think I know exactly what song you're going to mention. Actually going to mention three. Um, Let's see if you're going to mention the one I want to talk about, but go ahead. uh Uh-oh. Well, mine are from the Joshua Tree and I feel like, um, you know, they had, they were on such a roll and I know that they, Towards the end of that recording of, of that album, they had some um, issues, I guess, you know, they had to bring in Steve Lillywhite at the last minute and they were just so there was some pressure to get that album finished. And I know that they had a, a bunch of songs, you know, other songs that they went in to after they gave the the full record to the record company, our record company. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, I've so the songs are Spanish Eyes. Uh, yep. Walk to the Water. Uh, sorry, I should say Spanish Eyes was on I, was the B side to I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For. Walk to the Water was With or Without You. And Sweetest Thing was mm. the B side to Where the Streets Have No Name. So those are phenomenal. It was like, you know, it. The, they should have been a separate out. Like they're, they were so prolific then and they were writing such amazing tunes. And, the, and I think um, Sweetest Thing actually became a single. You know, they had a video yeah. for it and everything. But there's an interesting, interesting thing about that. There is a version. Uh, it was. It's not like in my head. I know that there was a. Uh, they re-recorded "Sweetest Thing." So the thing that you see as a video is a different song than the the other version of "Sweetest there's Thing." There's three that, versions of it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because I there's I, I want to find that first version that I had so long ago, and I don't know where I have it. Maybe someone can send it to me because <laughs> uh, yeah. I can't find I can't find it. I can't seem to find the one that I I used to love so much that would stick in my head. So. That's the funny thing. Sweetest Thing was the one I thought you were going to mention because mm. I remember that coming out as a single in the late 90s. And again, yeah. I was sorry mm-hmm. to make everyone feel old. I was born in 87. Mm-hmm. So by the time it was released, 98, 99, whenever it was, I was, you know, maybe 12. And actually, yeah. all right. Watching and that was so it, much later, right? Than when it was. Yeah, I was watching MTV and so on pretty hard. And I did not know literally until today when i was doing a bit of b-sides research that it was originally a b-side from the joshua tree oh, sessions wow wow so, that's cool and that's actually one of the few u2 songs i actually really like <laughs> cool so, i i love spanish eyes i i mm. played that way more than the single um i love that mm-hmm. the other one from that period that i like steph is silver and gold Another oh yeah big, yep yeah i, I, love I like the those two are were probably my, my favorite cool uh, of their of their b-sides and um the original b-side they did years ago called celebration celebration was a single i thought though that's one of my I, favorite see, i don't know if it was a single it, or it, not. Well, i have it i as have a it as a, i have it as a um uh, a b-side for new year's day oh really uh, oh no was seven. it i have a yeah. japanese import from like it was but way before then yeah Oh yeah, well I have a Polish Polish seventy. Or Bono gargles before that. Welcome to the U two pissing contest. That's right. <laughs> no, yeah, I, no, 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 I will slowly disappear though. into the head. Um, as as everyone should. I uh, I I I thought they should have put Spanish eyes on the record. 
And yeah. I thought Spanish Eyes should have been the single over Sweetest Thing. Well, I, I think knew, they think probably, uh, you know, would maybe agree with you with cer certain songs like that. When, yeah. I, when <laughs> I heard Sweetest Thing as a single, I'm like, okay, the sellout is full. The sellout is under underway, you know? Mm, um, really? Yeah, I just thought that was like the beginning of the end. Huh. <laughs> Disagree. <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that I sort of love is when people do really interesting things. I know you you have a you want to talk about one that uh, it's a continuation, but like I love the back of the Band Aid single when it's it's just called Feed the World. Oh and yeah, David Bowie couldn't make the session, but he recorded this like little spoken word thing and put it on the B side of the Do They Know It's Christmas seven inch right because I was one of the weird people that played the B-side of It's Christmas when they got this. Um, and I just thought that was really cool. Like, okay, they are really doing something different, right? So I love it when they do something different. And I know you talked about um, this a little bit, Steph, about when bands sort of do concepts or different things where maybe like the first side doesn't fit everything in. So they just overlap oh. or they do other stuff. Yeah. Well, I, I think my example was it didn't fit on the A side. It, so they had to continue yeah. it onto the B side. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, Don, Don McLean, when I was like five or mm. six years old, I had American Pie single. That was like one of the first 45s I ever owned. And yeah. I didn't really know. Actually, it might have been the first 45 I, I ever owned because I didn't know anything was weird about I was I put the song on halfway through faded out and I flipped it over and it faded up and it was the second half of the song right <laughs> so like there was no visa it was like the song was on this little 45 but they just couldn't mm -hmm. fit it all on one side so mm -hmm. that I, I think that was my introduction to a 45 you know and not knowing that a, that another song was supposed to be on the other side of it <laughs> And if you, if you, that's a great example. And if you're talking about part ones and part twos, like sharing wax, then James Brown has got quite a few mm -hmm. long songs that were released as singles. You get the radio release of it on A and on B, you get the part two, where it's just a continuation of the song. Um, way back in the early days of Fleetwood Mac, oh, well, they did the same thing, part one and part two. But there's another Fleetwood Mac example that's really weird. And that was from 80, what was it, 7, 88, when Tango in the Night came out. The first single, Big Love, had a song on the back called You and I Part One. So that came out in March of, I guess it was 87. And in, so March, April of 87, the album comes out. The final track on the album is You and I Part Two. So it not that strange? So it's a song that's split up between the backside of a single and the last track of the album. But they're almost like two completely different songs. It's like they had, so it's written, if I remember rightly, is this written by Christine and Lindsay. And they sort of share lead vocals on it. And it's almost like they had two different ideas of like, hey, we should write a song called You and I. What should it be? I don't know. I've got this idea and well, I've got this idea. So let's just make two different songs because they don't really sound like they're the same song. That's really interesting. And You and I Part 2, which ended up on the album, is far better hmm. than Part 1, which ended up on the flip side of Big Love. Mm -hmm. That just reminds me of, I, it's not the same thing because I don't think it was ever a B-side or anything, but Dreamboat Annie, there's like three versions of that with, her, yeah. you know, like. The, yeah like different interpretations of but yours sounds like it's like a different song maybe yeah like it is like, it's very weird yeah very mm -hmm. unusual yeah 
So before we uh, move off into the night, are there any other B-sides you guys want to talk about that are on your yeah. list? Yes, I have a few. Um, okay. right. So I've got a couple from the early years of Marillion. Uh, you guys know I'm big Marillion fans, but a uh, big you? Marillion fan. Never heard yeah, of it. me. They actually put out uh, with their first singer a B-sides album called Besides Themselves. Which I oh yeah, I remember that. Fairly witty, um, and there are two songs on there that I really, really love. One is Cinderella Search, which was the B side to Assassin, and it starts off all calm, but then the end it picks up, gets a bit rocky, and um, is is just really, really fun. Um, and I think that honestly, I feel like that should have been on the Fugazi album. Mm-hmm. And then the other one is Tuxon, which was the B side to Sugar Mice, and. I think that was left off of clutching at straws because it didn't quite fit the concept, mm-hmm. but it's a great, great track. And I was pissed when they did not include it on the recent reissue and uh, remix and remaster of clutching at straws. Um, but also phenomenal. And then two from Iron Maiden, both from the X factor sessions that both actually landed on the man on the edge single. Um, and that was justice of the peace and judgment day. And they're kind of slightly rockier tracks, kind of more traditionally what you would think of with Iron Maiden. And I think that they ended up as B-sides because they didn't quite fit the mood of the album. X Factor is a very, very moody, dark album with slower tracks than Maiden usually put out. And they're both a bit more traditional. Um, So sadly, they were excluded, but they're both fantastic. And they were on Maiden's Best of the B-sides compilation as well. Mm. I have one that I'll mention. Is that okay? Of course. Of course. Okay, because I thought I just interrupted someone again. Sorry. Um, it's uh, the Go-Go's song called Speeding, which is a B-side of Get Up and Go. And, like, that's just – it's a song that could have easily been included on the album. There's, I don't see why it wasn't, but it's just as good as, you know, anything on vacation. It could have been on vacation or it could have been on Beauty on the Be- and the Beach, just like, you know – and 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 not missed a beat because it was just seamlessly, you know, almost like the same kind of vibe and sound and everything. Mm-hmm. So that's awesome. Um, I've got uh, I've got one Steve. So when I'm collecting prints, I collect prints. I collect all the singles because it's always got B sides on it. I collect mm-hmm. every artist that he wrote material for. Under their name, I, re, I he had a record label called Paisley Park. I rec, I collected every band that was released on that label, and I was the same with Stevie Nicks because th- they're such prolific artists that they have to have these extra outlets for all of the material yeah. that they're writing. With Stevie, most of her stuff got shunted off to soundtracks, but there's one, at least one. There's a couple of them that did get done as uh, single B sides, but my favorite one is called Garbo. And it was about Greta, of course. And um, and it's a kind of a slow, like a, a three, four kind of ballad. And um, it was on the flip side of Stand Back. And it's such a great song. Um, but the thing that I sort of thought of while we were having this discussion, when we were talking about buying the same single multiple times to get different bonus tracks was um, Annie Lennox released a single called Cold. And I don't think it was a big hit or anything. And, and in spite of the fact that they released multiple versions of it, they did a maxi single. So in the cassette and the CD era, you would have singles that would have, you know, three or four B-sides on it instead of, you know, just one on the flip side of a 45. 
And so they released basically the entire MTV Unplugged performance on three different versions of Cold. The first one had three of her solo hits uh, from the Unplugged show, Why, The Gift, and Walking on Broken Glass. There was a uh, there was one that was all covers. So there was the third version of Cold had River Deep Mountain High, Feel the Need, and uh, Don't Let Me Down. But my favorite one was uh, the second version, which had three Eurythmic songs in an unplugged setting. And it was uh, Baby's Coming Back, Here Comes the Rain Again, and You Have Placed a Chill in My Heart. Wow. I had... Oh my God, it was so good. I had all three of the releases because I had to have all of those songs, but the Eurythmics ones were just killer. So that, that's picks. my ex, that's, that's cool. my bonus picks for, <laughs> for our so discussion. mine. And I, I, I'm sorry, it's taking us so long to get to this. Um, perhaps the, the, the favorite one of my youth is the Tainted Love, uh, Where Did Our Love Go? Which later became extended as a, like a god awfully long, the <laughs> world's longest, uh, you know, the club kids can go to the bathroom song, twelve uh, inch single. <laughs> um, that is really great. I also love uh, "Holiday on the Moon," which is a B side from "Love and Rockets." Um, oh yeah, which I think is just oh, phenomenal. I about that one, they stuck it later on the album Express, um, which I really liked. And then um, Jesus and Mary Chain have done a bunch of really great covers. Um, the I think it's for April Skies, maybe, but they have be uh, a cover of uh, "Who Do You Love," which is great. Uh, they have another B-side called "Sidewalk," and that was kind of a um, it later became a single, but uh, that's really good. And I love, love, love more than the, the they released "Come On" as a single, which was okay. But the B-side, this one minute and forty-eight version of "Alphabet Street" by Prince, is like amazing. It's it's fantastic. It's dirty. It's grimy. Uh, Jim Reed has this um, story that he tells. You know that they they put it out and stuff, and then they got a call uh, from Paisley Park, and they're like, "Well, we're done for." You know, here we go. And Prince was like, "You totally took that in a different direction." And they're like, "We didn't think we would be excited to hear that Prince liked our version, but we kind of were, right?" Yeah. yeah. Um, but they were they were one of those bands that really when they were when they were hitting on all cylinders they were they were cranking out great b-sides um that were just amazing so um i think of those two that's when cool I, that's I awesome alan yeah. do you own that one because <laughs> you know and i may have an extra one if i have an extra one i'll just give it to you no i didn't know about that one and now i must own you it. must have do it. you also I alan must do, you, have it. do you also own the age of chance cover of kiss no, oh I, I've goodness. heard it, but I don't own it. Okay, okay. Well, I, I've got an extra one of those. I'll hand that off to you. Ooh, um, okay. Sweet. Yeah, um, which was fun too. You know, um, there's all kinds of just really cool B sides. So as we get ready to say, to sign off for the show, is there anything else any love to add about like B sides, B side culture, what makes them great, why we love them so much, and why we miss them more now? Yeah, I'd like them to come back. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yeah, yeah. something you kind of miss out on with the whole streaming culture. Yeah. yeah. Where a song just gets put on Spotify and there is no such thing as a B-side and it right. sucks. It, there's no like I, I, rare or whatever cuz it's like accessible. Everything's accessible. And, 
and honestly, since everything is so highly uh, capitalist these days, I'm actually surprised, you know, that there isn't a kind of we're still sneakily releasing b-sides as singles on itunes but you still have to actually buy the single to get the b-side like yeah i'm I'm surprised they're not doing that yeah yeah that's true yeah well this is a fun topic i'm glad we did this um stephanie i know that there are people who listen to the show who want to know more about you so where would they track you down on the internet on the internets you can find me on bandcamp uh, you can find me on my website, which is therearebirds.com and uh, streaming platforms everywhere. Awesome. And folks should look for your new single, which is called There Was a Time. There Was a Time. And people who listen to the show regularly know how much we love that song. So Thank everyone you. should go and listen to it and buy it and stream it and line your pockets thank you very Be- much best earworm you're gonna have yeah for months i swear Aww. to god that song gets stuck in my head for a week when i listen Dude. to it so, yes. yes thank you all right rob people are looking for you where are they gonna find you uh, i wasn't there no uh <laughs> it wasn't me no like the, like the like this yeah um you can find me on kdhx in st louis on wednesday nights from seven to nine central uh pay, playing the platters that matter um, or you can listen to it uh, streaming on, on our archive at kdhx.org. Um, all the shows, my show and all the other shows that we do are archived for two weeks. Um, you can also find me on uh, the Need Coffee we- uh, Weekend Justice podcast as well. Nice. A-dubs, what's up? Sup, dog? Um, <laughs> Sup? We're going for street talk. Hi. Um you can also find me on Watches in Fourth Dimension, a Doctor Who podcast where we are watching our way through the entire show from 1963 until now. We have literally just released our episode on Planet of Spiders, the very last John Pertwee story. Best title ever. More. Yeah. We have two more episodes on Pertwee to go because we have a couple of retrospectives coming up on season 11 and then the entire era. The latter of those, Mr. Silo will be joining us Woo-hoo! as a guest. But, um, as usual, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, wherever you like to get your podcasts and wherever you're listening to this podcast, probably. So check us out. You can also find us social media at Watches4D. Anthony, you are my wonder wall. <laughs> <laughs> that was all part of the master plan, which I'm really glad you acquiesced to. It was like the the, the hour-long wait for the punchline. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. I I wrote it down. I'm like, I'm not going to forget this at the end of the show. (laughs) Okay, so um, I have another podcast called Earth Station Trek. It's a Star Trek podcast, and you can find it on all those same things that Anthony just mentioned. And I have my publishing company where I write books about Doctor Who and other topics and uh, have published a couple of things by other authors authors so go check that out at cosmicpress.com k-o-z-m-i-c press.com or find it on facebook or twitter or instagram all right so we will be back next week with another topic and uh till then have a great week take care of each other be nice do good in the world and we will see everybody soon keep rocking on